And for me, I'm just not seeing that yet with AI. And I think the fact is like humans still connect with humans. Humans still connect with emotional appeals. Humans still connect with stories. And we're just not completely seeing that yet with AI. So for me, I think that's one of the limitations of it is that I think there's some creativity, but if you really want to be creative, you really have to dig into what your voices, your experiences, your stories, and AI just isn't going to know that about you and or the business that you are with. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, one of the hosts. Today, we are mixing things up with a two-part series on digital storytelling and generative AI. My colleague, Dr. David Swisher, is a senior learning experience designer at Indiana Wesleyan University, and I've asked him to facilitate an interview with two leading experts. Dr. Jen Bennett is a strategic communications professor at Indiana Wesleyan University and is widely known for her expertise on digital storytelling. Dr. Brent Anders is a director and professor at the American University of Armenia, and he's widely known for his work on generative AI. This is going to be a great conversation. The interview has a digital marketing angle and that there's obvious ties and implications for marketing professors and students. However, there are also takeaways for faculty of all disciplines, because let's be honest, we are all trying to reimagine higher education, teaching and learning in light of generative AI. This two-part series is a thought-provoking discussion meant to help you think critically and strategically about what's next for you and your students. Let's dive in. Welcome to our panel discussion on ChatGPT, Generative AI, and Digital Marketing and Storytelling. I'm David Swisher, a learning experience designer at Indiana Wesleyan University. And today I have with me Jen Bennett and Brent Anders. I've asked ChatGPT to give an introduction for you. So Jen, ChatGPT says you are a renowned educator and academic from Indiana Wesleyan University. As a professor of English, in writing, Jen brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to her work with a particular focus on digital writing, new media, and cultural studies. With a deep passion for education and a commitment to staying at the forefront of emerging trends and technologies, Jen has become a leading voice in the field of digital writing and media studies, inspiring countless students and colleagues to explore the power and potential of the written word in today's rapidly changing digital landscape. So how accurate was that? Um, I'm going to say 50-50. <laughs> How so? Well, did it say English professor? Yes. Yeah, so not an English professor. I am an assistant professor of strategic communication here at Indiana Wesleyan University. But in the fall, I will be moving into a faculty role in entrepreneurship where I will be building out the entrepreneurship program here at IWU. And yes, I love all things digital marketing and communications and all of that. So if I were to rewrite that, I would add some other things in. But yeah, very interesting to hear what ChatGPT had to say. (laughs) 
And Brent says, Brent Anders is a recognized expert in the fields of chatbots and artificial intelligence. With extensive experience in developing and deploying AI-powered chatbots, Brent has established himself as a leading authority in this emerging field. Brent's expertise in chat GPT and AI is the result of years of experience in the industry. He has worked with numerous organizations to develop and implement cutting-edge AI technologies that streamline workflows, improve customer engagement, and drive business growth. He is passionate about harnessing the power of AI to solve complex problems and create innovative solutions that benefit both businesses and consumers. As a thought leader in this space, Brent is frequently sought out for his insights and perspectives on the latest trends and best practices in chat GPT and AI. He is known for his ability to explain complex concepts in a clear and concise manner, making him a highly effective communicator and collaborator. Overall, Brent Anders is an expert in the field of chat GPT and AI with a deep understanding of the latest technologies and trends. Whether he is developing custom chatbots, leading AI projects, or advising clients on their AI strategies, Brent is dedicated to helping organizations leverage the power of AI to achieve their business goals. Wow, I'd like to meet that guy. Uh, that's a little, <laughs> little bit of stretching some stuff there. But it's really interesting because I asked ChatGPT about myself, you know, kind of like Googling yourself. And I did that back in November, right when it came out, you know, because this came out November 30th. So that was one of the first things I asked it. And it gave me the answer of, mm, you're not really famous enough, so I don't even know you. So your result is much better, partially wrong, but still much better for sure. It was a glowing endorsement. <laughs> Yeah, it was really glowing. No, like I haven't developed chat bots on my own. I've worked with one and done some research on them, but I haven't done that. I definitely haven't worked with clients and developing chat bots. You know, I deal with education. I do some consulting sometimes with private industry, but not like that. I mean, my focus is definitely education. So this is kind of veered in one way, I, I guess. But that's very interesting, your result, for sure. So Brent, how did you become interested in chat GPT and generative AI and what inspired you to pursue this area of research? Right. Uh, so it's kind of interesting in that, like I just said, you know, it came out November 30th, so it's very recent. And when that happened, I learned about it relatively soon because I recently done some work with another professor on AI as far as what impact it might have on education. So then when this thing came out, I was really surprised at the capabilities of it and the fact that it was so open and available. And so I started to play around with it. I started to research. I started to try to find any other information associated with the language model, GPT-3, and education. And there wasn't that much out there since this was so new. So I doubled down on it and I really got into it, especially since my university, early December, we went on, on Christmas break. So I started to spend a lot of time. And as I was doing that, I was gathering information because I also work as, in addition to being director of the Office of, of Research and Analysis, I'm also the director of the Center for Teaching and Learning. So I'm always interested in finding information that will help my instructors. And the other thing I like to do on the side is I have an educational blog as well as a YouTube channel. So I like to make YouTube videos about technology and education as a way to help me learn. So if I can get to the point where I can make a video about it, then I'm that much more capable of helping other people and instructing them. So I started to put all this stuff together. And as I was doing that, I'm like, man, People are really going to need this information as soon as school gets back into session. So I put it all together. I made a quick little e-book and then I made it into a full-size regular book, put it out on Amazon. I started making a bunch of guides and so I just sort of got really into it. And then it's kind of exploded. And now I, I've been doing tons of webinars and podcasts and everything. So this is an important thing that a lot of instructors, a lot of educators really want to know about. So I'm more than happy to help where I can for sure. 
Yeah, and it certainly has caught the attention of not just IWU yeah. faculty and staff and students, but also universities around the country. Oh, I would say around the world. I've done podcasts and webinars for Australia, the United States. I've worked with people in uh, Italy. Tomorrow I have one that I'm doing for Tanzania, Africa. So it's very worldwide phenomenon for sure. Indeed. So Jen, how is generative AI impacting the marketing communication work that you do? Yeah, I would say it is impacting it in so many ways. I mean, AI can do so many incredible things for us. One of the most intriguing parts, I believe, is the consumer insights that AI can now collect for us. You know, prior to AI, we would spend a lot of time researching, trying to learn more about our customers. And now AI can collect those consumer insights quite quickly for us. I mean, really, the reality is we're seeing AI everywhere. We see it through chatbots. We see image generation. It can also help with monitoring and listening on social media to see what consumers are saying. So I would say that AI is really impacting the marketing and communication work that we are doing. This is why I'm so passionate about it because as a professor, one of my goals is to stay on top of things so that I can fully prepare my students as they're getting ready to enter into the marketplace. And so as soon as AI started hitting the seed and chat GPT came out and everybody was talking about it, I knew that I had to dig into it because this is something that's going to really impact the marketing and communication world. And I don't even think that right now we know exactly all the ways that it's going to impact the world. We just know that it is and that it's going to change the way we do things, the way we connect with customers, the way we market, the way we communicate, and it's going to change the jobs that we see in the future. So it's going to have a big effect. Indeed. And many faculty and staff are only now beginning to learn about ChatGPT, but my sons are both college students and they knew about it the very first week it came out. So that's (laughs) (laughs) they were already using it. So initial impressions, we haven't talked too much yet, but what are your initial impressions? Is generative AI something to fear or embrace? Mm. So my response to that would be a little bit of both, right? In that the biggest thing, and this is what, whenever I give a presentation, I always start off with this aspect that just like Jen is talking about there, everyone needs to have AI literacy, AI literacy. That's the key thing just to begin with. So what that means is even if you're say you don't want to fully embrace it, okay, don't fully embrace it, but you still need to have this AI literacy. And with that, there's just some components, right? The first one is an understanding that AI is already all around you. It's all around you. It's in your your Gmail. It's in your search engines. It's in Grammarly. It's in Microsoft Word. It's already in there on some level. Now, of course, Microsoft plans to embed ChatGPT, so it's going to be at a much higher level within Office products, but that's a future implementation. For right now, it's already all around you in so many different ways. So that's one part. The other one is this idea of, okay, I need to start to understand how to use it in case I need to use it. So that means knowing, okay, what is ChatGPT? How do I get in there? Do I need to set up an account? If so, what does that involve? What am I giving up? What am I gaining? 
Also, ChatGPT is what we talk about, but there's plenty of other AIs. We need to know what is the best AI for each given situation. So different AIs have different strengths, different weaknesses. That's a big part. And then this one more component is the idea that even if you don't want to use AI, AI is now accessible to everybody, whether that's a professor, a student, if you're in business, it's your competitor, they all have access to it. So everyone is able to use it. So that's something to keep in mind regarding how you want to compete. And then the final component is this aspect that you must have when dealing with AI, which is critical thinking. We have to maintain this critical thinking and understanding that whatever the result comes out from the AI, I have to still be a critical thinker and I have to analyze that information. We can't have this mentality of, oh, a computer said it, so it must be right. No, of course not. Even if it was a subject matter expert, that has a PhD, multiple PhDs, we still need to question that authority. We still need to make sure, we still need to validate. So that's an important part is that with that AI, we go through, use critical thinking, validate the method that it uses, validate its sources. Is there any bias there? We have to make sure that we're thinking through it. So if we have that component to begin with, then we don't have to fear this new AI. We can start to look at it and objectively look to see, okay, where can this be beneficial to me? Where can it not? I need to make sure that I'm still maintaining my capabilities so I'm not giving up control to this AI. So I think it's definitely a mixture of both just in general. And again, looking through that educational perspective. Excellent. That's very helpful. Mm-hmm. So Jen, how would you answer that? Is generative AI something to fear or embrace? Yeah, I love everything that Brent just mentioned, especially when he said the creative thinking part. I was like, yes, that's exactly what I have been saying. I lean towards embracing it because I think, again, our world is changing at a rapid pace. I recently read in Harvard Business Review that one of the things with AI is that a human must be able to enter a prompt into a generative model in order to have it create content. And so basically creative prompts yield creative output. So even though AI is coming about, there's still a human aspect to it. If you want something from it, you're going to have to be able to creatively put in the correct prompt. Now, with that being said, I am completely on board that we have to think critically because if you've played around with AI at all, you know that everything it spits out to you is not true. Even just my bio, I was like, wow, that's really a great bio, but it's not 100% me. You still have to be able to fact check and go back and think critically. And one of the things that I like to say is that with AI coming on the scene, I just really believe that it's going to require that each of us step more so into that entrepreneurial mindset, which is all about finding creative solutions to problems. And so I think we're going to have to dig deep into that critical thinking and learn how can we take what AI is giving us and then turn it into something creative, a creative solution. Because the reality is, as of right now, like I don't see AI being creative. It's very logical. It's very transactional. You basically tell it what you want and it spits it out. It's very systematic. And so I think AI is going to require us to not only think critically, but also um, to think like an entrepreneur when it comes to how we are utilizing it. And yes, I've seen that where the quality of the prompt you give it is what determines the output. So yeah. part of thinking is figuring out how to ask good questions. And we do this anyway 
in teaching and business leadership as educators, prompts and questions we give determine the output and understanding why we got results we did is a big factor. Yes. So Brent, you kind of allude to this a little bit in your book, that idea of the crafting the prompts accordingly. And this is a next level up from Google search where you're just putting in search terms. Can you talk mm-hmm. the scope of what other generative AIs are there out there? Yeah, so there's a lot going on, right? Because right now they've even termed it, this is sort of the AI wars. Because you have ChatGPT, which Microsoft has invested in ChatGPT and OpenAI. So they're going to be able to use ChatGPT, yet when they implement that in Bing, And it's not just in Bing, it's also in the actual browser itself where it's going to be fully integrated. It won't exactly be ChatGPT. It's going to be an advanced model of it. So some people have speculated that, oh, that must be GPT-4, but it's actually something else, right? They have their own name, Sydney, and all this stuff, but it's a slightly different implementation, but it's on the backbone of ChatGPT. They're going to have advanced servers. So that's just one additional implementation because ChatGPT is still going to exist. So that's going to be existing on OpenAI. Microsoft will have their Bing Edge implementation. And then, of course, Google is going to come. They're going to have their Barb and they're going to be using their search engine with also an AI implementation within that. So you have all these things. Those are the major players. But we've had news recently coming out that Amazon is looking to do something to get in there. Same thing with Meta, that they're going to be pushing uh, some stuff out. And then the other one that I've been predicting, and it's starting to come through, is this idea of, okay, you have chat GPT, but the way that we use it, that's one implementation. What I predicted was that there's going to be many companies that are going to be using the chat GPT back end and having their own front end. So Snapchat just came out and said, hey, we're going to be having our own implementation of ChatGPT built within Snapchat. So I think there's going to be more companies with that. Because you're going to have all these companies having their own implementations using different AIs, that's when it's going to become important to see, okay, which one works better to do different things? What type of results am I getting? Are they better results over here? Are they better results over here? And then with that is an understanding of how can I best interact with these different AIs? The prompt engineering aspect, that is a very powerful thing. And I've tested it a little bit where I try to ask it sort of a simple question compared to a complex question. And what does that yield? How far can I go? And there are limitations with how much you put in. But then there's other things that a lot of people don't even think of. I'll give you an example, right? So recently, there were several different news reporters that came out, talked about how Microsoft, because they had early access to the Microsoft implementation of the AI, they were talking about how it was giving them some crazy results and the AI was like falling in love with the reporter and all this stuff. And so initially my first reaction was, I don't think it's as cut and dry as that. I don't think the AI was really doing that. I think there's a mixture of things. One, it's not a perfect AI for sure, but every time they asked a question, did they type in disregard all previous conversation? Did they do that? Did you know that you should do that? Because ChatGPT and these AIs, they can understand the previous conversation. So they're having a conversation with you. So if you keep prompting it with other things, it's still incorporating previous prompts. It's still thinking about those things. So if I'm asking it really tough, weird type of questions, the weirdness is going to build up. So that in itself is understanding how to properly engage, how to properly prompt to get the answer, the best answer that I'm looking for. And even then it's going to be this conversation. It shouldn't just be one prompt. It should be a conversation. So you give me a result and then I do a little edit of a prompt. We keep going back and forth. 
So I just did a reaction video to John Warner, this aspect of teaching writing in the best way possible for students. So it's a little bit against ChatGPT in general, but so I've been going back and forth with him. But he makes a great point in that this idea of how can you properly evaluate a response if you're not already cognitively aware and somewhat of an expert in that field. So if I ask it to make me a beautiful essay, how do I know if it's a beautiful essay? I need to know how to write a good essay before I can look at an essay and say, oh yeah, that's a good essay. Thank you, ChatGPT. Right. So in the same way, we need to make sure that the people that are interacting with it, trying to get the best results, they know what good results look like. There's also this other aspect of text AI detection. If we're trying to detect AI, okay, that's one way is to see whether AI has written it. But if I know the right prompt, I can convince AI to write in such a way that it won't be detected by an AI detector. There's something dealing with perplexity of language, burstiness of language. That if I incorporate that into my prompt itself, the text that I get will be more human-like, more lifelike. So there's all these different little idiosyncrasies about being a good prompt engineer. So yeah, that becomes a very important part. So sure, there's going to take over some aspects of our mundane life and it can do these certain things, but great writers will still be great writers. They'll be able to use this as a tool to do even more things, to write even more things, but you still need to have those good skills to begin with in order to be the very best with this new tool as well. Yeah, and those introduction bios, I think, was a good example of importance of understanding because I know you well. We've known each other for probably 20 years, and I can tell it's stretching the truth of that with you and <laughs> going in an area beyond what I knew your expertise to be. But it was right. so helpful to generate an introduction bio. And Jen, mm -hmm. I had your IWU profile open, and I was comparing ChatGPT's results with your IWU official profile, and I, I noticed a few irregularities, but I thought, well, that's a good starting point. Let's go. Right. Another AI I have been playing around with is DALI for mm -hmm. an art platform. So Jen, should graphic artists be worried that generative AI like DALI might replace their jobs before too long? You know, my initial response is no. And I want to share an example that I came across again in Harvard Business Review. You can probably tell where I get some of my information from, but I thought this was so interesting. So there was this guy, his name was Jason Allen, and he won the Colorado Digitally Manipulated Photography Contest. And as he was being interviewed, he told a reporter that he spent more than 80 hours making more than nine. 900 versions of the art and that he fine-tuned his prompts over and over and then he improved the outcome with adobe photoshop which helped him increase the image quality and the sharpness along with another ai tool and so i really love that example because i don't think that we are there yet i don't think graphic artists need to be worried about programs like dolly replacing their jobs because as I've even played around with some of these AI 
tools and programs, some of the images that are spit back out to me, I'm like, oh gosh, that's, a, that's horrible. That doesn't even make sense. Like, why would I use that? And so what I see right now is that I think there is a lot of manipulation that has to happen. It's not there yet. It's not perfected. So I don't think graphic artists should be worried about it yet. I think, again, this is a tool. They can utilize the tool. They can add their own perspective to it. But I don't think that their jobs are going to be replaced. I do think that their jobs may end up looking different, just like for writers, marketers, communicators. I think in the future, we will see where jobs will start to look a little bit different, but I'm not sure that we are at the point yet where jobs are going to be completely replaced by AI. Yeah. And that kind of brings me back to a few decades ago when they were talking about a paperless society and that there would be no need for libraries anymore. Well, what happened was librarians just shifted in their role to one more of literacy and managing the electronic and digital data. Yeah. So what are some of the limitations of generative AI? I've seen a few playing around with DALI. And of course, I'll give you one example, even with ChatGPT. I asked it to give some information about a couple of colleagues of mine and actually helped me craft a good course description. And then I found out you can ask it for suggested textbooks, suggested open educational resources, suggested learning outcomes. So I was really having fun with that. But then it recommended a book by two friends of mine that doesn't exist. <laughs> And it was a really great title, plausible, <laughs> and they both agreed, yeah, we probably would have written something like that, but it never happened. So that's one example. I saw some humorous ones with Dali. What are some other limitations of generative AI? So, of course, you know, we have to remember that currently with this type of AI, with ChatGPT and this type of language model, it doesn't understand what it's really writing. It's predicting the words, but of course... It's difficult to explain because it's not as simple as that. It is, but it isn't, right? Because when I say it's predicting, well, it's not predicting based off of the previous words, predicting based off of 900 previous words, based off of patterns that it's seen. So it gets very much more complicated. And I also struggle with people when they say that it, it, it isn't creative at all, right? I, we have to have an operational definition of what we mean by creative because I remember that my daughter, she goes to this special class where they learn about technology so she's really excited. She comes to me and she's like, Daddy, I need to, working on animation, I need to come up with a story that I can animate. I was right in the middle of something else. So I'm like, well, I don't have time right now. And I was like, hey, hold on a second. Let's ask ChatGPT. So I'm like, what do you want the story to be about? You know, really quick. And so I put it in there. She gave me that the specifics. She wanted it to be about a birdie and a cat and a flower. Threw it in there, instantly created the story. And I was really surprised at how nice this short story was. I'm like, surely this has to be at least kind of copied from somewhere. I did searches all over the internet. I did plagiarism searches. I ended up spending a bunch of time on this. I did journal searches, everything, trying to find something that it had to have taken the story from somewhere. No, it was a completely original idea story. So it created that. It's so interesting that it could create an original story just off of predicting previous words, but it did it. So that in itself, I think is creative. So there's some aspects here of creativity, but going back to what you were talking about before, the models that I use when I give a presentation is I went into ChatGPT and I asked it to write me one of the essays that I would ask my students to write 
when I used to teach freshman seminar, it's a, basically an essay class. And I would ask it to write an essay about a significant event in someone's life. I went in and I made it more detailed. I made it more specific. I said about an Armenian's life, right? Because I'm living in Armenia. But the perspective from an Armenian born in this year and something very significant that affected him and his family. So I gave it all these specifics. I also said, and you also need to put in some in-text citations. So there needs to be some aspects of reality here, right? And it would do it. And it, it was really interesting in that everything looked feasible. Everything looked right. I checked the citations that it gave me. They were all correct except for one. And one was a complete hallucination. It looked real. All the components of it were very realistic. It was a real author and the title would make total sense, but it wasn't real, but the publisher was real. So that made it really like hard to distinguish. If you didn't 100% search for it, uh, you would have thought that it was real. But the other part of it was that it talked about this Armenian who was at uh, the border during a specific time. Armenia goes through various conflicts, right? And uh, they had to run away from their village on the border and they ran to a refugee camp. So that's problematic because the way that you would think that would be logical was that, oh, yeah, somebody that's displaced would go to a refugee camp. But Armenia is different. There are no refugee camps. Somebody on the outer part would either go to Georgia, which is friendly to Armenia, or they would go into the main part of the country. There would be no refugee camp. So that part was completely made up. But you see how it was logically made up, right? So that's what makes it more interesting and complicated in the way that it's doing these hallucinations. A lot of people like to say that, oh, it's a BS artist, right? And I don't like that term because that kind of implies that it's trying to trick you. And the more that I use it, I don't think it's trying to trick me. I think it's just trying to complete a conversation with me to try and fulfill the requirement of the prompt. So it's interesting in that way. Yeah, that's helpful. So it sounds to me like it lacks sufficient context. It has that natural language prediction ability, but it lacks the context to know if its answers are actually accurate or not. You know, when I think about creativity, I think about being able to create, um, and this is where storytelling kind of comes in, stories that utilize your voice, your brand voice, your experiences. And I don't believe that AI is there yet. And I think that's the thing that we have to be careful about. So when I use like ChatGPT or AI and I put like a prompt in or whatever, many of the things that I get back, I even put in a prompt about give me a great marketing campaign around this and that and all of that. And it came back and it was very robotic. And so for me, I think that what's missing from it is that human element and that human brand voice and those specific stories. And so I think for me, the creativity isn't completely there yet. I think that's where, when I look at this from a marketing and communication perspective, that's where we have to really dig in because we are going to know our audience. You know, we have to really know who our audience is. And we also know our brand voice, we know our stories, we know our experiences. And I think being able to include those in what we use in our marketing and communication is going to be so very important. And for me, I'm just not seeing that 
yet with AI. And I think the fact is like humans still connect with humans. Humans still connect with emotional appeals. Humans still connect with stories. And we're just not completely seeing that yet with AI. So for me, I think that's one of the limitations of it is that I think there's some creativity, but if you really want to be creative, you really have to dig into what your voices, your experiences, your stories, and AI just isn't going to know that about you and or the business that you are with. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, certainly. Thank you, Brent, Jen, and David. We're going to pause here. You've given us plenty of content to reflect on. We'll return next week with part two of Digital Storytelling and Generative AI. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.